Thank you, brother. You're very kind. I likewise look upon Brother Lawrence as one of my very closest friends. Quite often confide in him and seek his counsel and appreciate so very much all he has done to help me as I seek to live the Christian life and get to heaven after a while. It's good to be back at Bybee Branch. Good to see those that I've known from the past and also some new faces. I'm always glad to be here. I, in traveling around the Brotherhood, have been with a lot of congregations. There's not any congregation that I appreciate and respect more than this one. For your good work, for your faithfulness, for your stand for what is right, and for your loving kindness. I appreciate the support that you've been so generous to give to me that has made possible my continuing with the school and working there as administrative dean, teaching and doing the other things that I do. The challenge facing the Lord's Church from man-made religions is a very serious challenge indeed. We all have loved ones or friends in man-made religions. And we are concerned. We want them to be saved and go to heaven. Is it okay for them where they are? Are they all right spiritually? If so, then we don't have to worry about it. Or if the Lord's church is just another of those man-made religions, one is as good as another. But not only is there the challenge facing us, there is also the temptation to lower our standards, to loosen those boundaries that God himself has set that we might include others because of our friendship with them, our love for them, our desire for them to be saved. I have loved ones that I would really want to be able to say, it's okay with them. They're going to be all right eternally. So there's the challenge and the temptation. Let's consider some specific challenges, and we cannot look at all of them, but some few that we have selected that are challenges that we face because of man-made religions. And the first of these is the challenge of man-made doctrines to the doctrine of Christ. Second John 9 shows us that we must stay with the doctrine of Christ. We must hold to it. We must not go beyond what God has set as the boundaries. And when we look at that gospel of Christ, never do we see that called the doctrines, plural, of Christ, but always singular. However, when we think about man-made religions, for example, Matthew 15, 9, Jesus said, In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines. The commandments of men, plural. And not only are they plural in the sense of there being many, but they are also diverse. There are many different kinds of doctrines. 
Now, this is one of those places in the country, and I've preached in a couple of places like this, where, as we say down in Alabama, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a church building. I preached in Walker County, Alabama. There are, I think, 60 congregations of the Lord's people there and hundreds of other church buildings of denominations, man-made religions. The challenge is that man-made religions have many and different teachings. And the appeal to those whom we love is find the one that you like. Find the church that believes what you want to believe. Instead of finding what God would have us to know, looking for the truth that will make us free, John 8, 32, you find a church that teaches it the way you already want it to be. So there's the challenge of the doctrines of men to the doctrine of Christ. I've heard old-time preachers. I guess I'm getting to be one myself. But I've heard old-time preachers who said very clearly, if a creed, a doctrine, a discipline, a manual, a catechism, a book of prayer, whatever it may be called, if a creed of men has more than the Bible, it has too much. If it has less than the Bible, it doesn't have enough. If it has the same thing, we don't need it because we already have it. Revelation 22, 18 and 19 shows us, and again very clearly so, that we are not to add to the Word of God, nor are we to take from it. What happens is that men have the idea that somehow, in their great wisdom, they can figure out something better than what God has given to us in His Word. They can find a way that appeals to other men who will then join with them and form a man-made religion. And so the first challenge is the challenge of the doctrines of men. But the doctrines of men will not save. Therefore, salvation cannot be found in man-made religions that follow and promote the doctrines of men. Another challenge. This challenge is the challenge of false ideas about salvation incorporated in those doctrines. False ideas about salvation that challenge the truth that God has given about what we must do to be saved. And while again there are many and varied doctrines, let us consider the one I think may be the most prevalent, and that is salvation by faith only. There are many who hold that doctrine in one form or another and they will look at those who say obedience is necessary and mock and scorn and laugh. They'll say you can't be saved by works. James 2, 14 through the end of the chapter talks about faith and works, that is works of obedience and states specifically, faith without works of obedience is dead. Can you be saved by dead faith? Not only is it dead, it is unprofitable. 
Not only that, it cannot be seen. We cannot show it to anyone if we have faith without works. That cannot be seen. It cannot justify, thus it cannot save. And so the idea of salvation by faith only is representative of the many other ideas held by man-made religions, taught in their doctrines, concerning salvation that are false. And they give to men and women false hope. There are multiplied millions who are looking forward to heaven one day because they've been told they have done what they must do to get there when it is contrary to the will of God. Their hope is a false hope. How sad that is. When we consider our response to that, we don't respond out of anger and hatred toward the people who are involved in these false doctrines. Our hearts are broken. We shed tears for them. We pray that they might come out of that false doctrine. We work to help them to know what to do to be saved. As lovingly and kindly as we can, we seek to tell them and to bring them and to show them where they ought to be. There's a challenge. It's not easy. Oftentimes we're met with pat answers. We're met with rebuke. Even though we care so deeply, The answer might be sharp and hateful. But still, we have the challenge to face those false doctrines, to deal with those ways that men proclaim to be to salvation, but which are not. Another challenge to the church is the challenge presented by man-made religions of obedience to men Instead of obedience to God, those in man-made religions have been taught that they are to follow whatever the preacher or the pastor has to say. I've talked to many, I'm sure you have too, who have said, well, whatever the preacher says, that's what I believe. Why do you believe that? Well, that's what the preacher says. Or to follow the priest or the pope or the creed book, or whatever has been given them from men as a standard, as a guide in that religion, whether it's from a conference or a board or whatever it might be. The Bible tells us, and again very plainly so, that we ought to obey God rather than man, Acts 5.29, and the principle there shows that even when it comes down to those directives, whether personal or written or whatever they might be, We have to seek what God has to say and follow the way that God would have us to go. Salvation cannot be found in man-made religions that teach doctrines different from the doctrine of Christ, that have ways of salvation different from salvation in Christ, that teach obedience to men instead of obedience to God. Oh, they'll say, yes, we ought to obey God, but here's what 
I believe in my faith. That is my church. Another challenge is the challenge of worshiping in accordance with the will of men to the true worship, John 4, 24, worship in spirit and in truth that is according to the will of God. How many times have we spoken with our neighbors, our family members perhaps, co-workers, fellow students, people that we love, people that are near to us, and we have spoken to them about the worship in which they engage, and the answer is, I like it. I like it that way. That's the problem. Man-made religions cater to the whims and the likes of men and seek to fulfill them. Megachurches today have followed that prescription. We'll go out and see what the people want. We'll give them that, and we'll have 10,000 members. And sadly, some in the Lord's church have decided that is the way to go as well. I don't know how it's going around here in this area, but I can tell you about Memphis, Tennessee. Back 10, 20, 30 years ago, there were churches of Christ that began to move away from the truth and to seek bigger numbers and bigger names. They had preachers that wanted to be somebody. And so they began to embrace practices that they had not embraced before. And should not. And so I've watched over the period of time as those churches inflated in numbers. But you know what has happened now? They've deflated. Some have closed the doors. Teaching the doctrines of men, following the practices of men, whether it brings together one or a million, still will not please God. Our purpose is to be His people and to do His will in worship and in everything else. We look back to, for example, Exodus 32. It amazes me. Here's Aaron. His explanation for making the golden calf was we just took these earrings and threw them in the fire and out came this calf. Then they worshipped it, but they said they were worshipping God. God did not believe that. He knew better. It wasn't His will. He didn't authorize that. And they're saying it didn't make it okay. He sent a plague upon them. Many of them died. They learned the hard way. Leviticus 10, 1 and 2, Nadab and Abihu used strange fire, which God had not authorized, and God didn't say, well, I believe these fellows are good fellows. I, I think they're honest and sincere. They're trying to worship me the best they know how. He set fire from heaven down and destroyed them. Cain brought an offering. Abel's was by faith. God didn't have respect under Cain's offering. How many examples do we have to have to see that God has authorized what He wants us to do in worship and He has not said to us, you do what you want to do and I'll put my stamp of approval on it because I know that you're honest and sincere. It doesn't matter 
how many rituals one might attach to his worship. It doesn't matter how grand the ceremonies might be. It doesn't matter how impressive the singing of the choir or the soloist might be or the sound of the mechanical instruments of music might be. God has not authorized those things. And yet we have brothers and sisters who are doing everything they can do to emulate what the man-made religions have done to bring those innovations into the worship of the church. Here's another observation. When our brethren have tried those things, you know what? They're never going to outdo the man-made religions and what they're doing. And so the very people that they seek to attract are eventually going to gravitate down the road to another place that has something grander and bigger and more sensual and pleasurable. God wants us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the challenge of man-made religions, whether it is elevating women and leading the worship or taking the Lord's Supper once a month or once a quarter or twice a year or whatever it might be, or any other changes they make, those will never be pleasing to God. Salvation cannot be found in man-made religions that take the simple reverent worship God intended and change that and pervert that and bring it to what they want it to be instead of what God wants it to be. Another challenge is the challenge of encouraging people to be in this man-made religion, whatever name it might wear, instead of being just Christians. A lot of times I ask people just to see what they will say concerning what they are religiously. And when they come back with a name in a man-made religion, then I say, so you're not a Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm a Christian, but I, I go to the so-and-so church. There's a problem there. The challenge is for us to be just Christians. That's all we have to be. God's people encourage others to be Christians. When Paul spoke with King Agrippa, what was he trying to get Agrippa to be? Just Christian. Acts 26, 28. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. King James Version. Acts 26, 28. Salvation cannot be found in man-made religions that encourage men to be something other than just Christians. But here's another challenge. And that is the challenge of division and diversity of man-made religions to the unity found in Christ and His church. The longer I live, the more I have opportunity to be with brethren such as you tonight the more I am impressed with and the more I appreciate the unity that we have together in Christ. If you and I were to sit down and start talking about the things that we believe and the things that we do in religion, we'd find that we're going down the same path. Why is that? Because you followed 
quote, church of Christ tradition, end quote? Is that it? You're a Campbellite? I am too? No, it's because we're following the same book. And because we're following the same book, we come to the same conclusions. We have the same beliefs. We engage in the same practices. Have the same hope. Ephesians 4, 4 was read for us earlier. There's one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. Verses 5 and 6 say that uh, there is not only that one body and one spirit and one hope, but one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all who's above all and through all and in you all. We call that the seven unities. John 17, 20 and 21 records the prayer of Jesus when he prayed for unity, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. 1 Corinthians 12 addresses the oneness of that body of which we are members. Colossians 1.18 He, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. How many heads does the body have? One. How many bodies does a head have? One. How many churches are there? There's just one. It is the church for which Jesus paid the price with his shed blood, Acts 20, 28. It is the church that he said he would build. I will build my church, singular, Matthew 16, 18. It is the church to which he adds all the saved, Acts 2, 47. You know, I'm not ashamed to tell people that. It is what they need to hear. There's one body. That body is the church. Christ is the head of it. We are members of it as obedient believers in Christ. There's a challenge. And again, we know the pat answers. We've heard the rebukes and the smart responses. But when the Lord comes back, there's still going to be one church. The divisions and diversity of man-made religions are designed, again, to call one in a particular point of view. One who has a particular set of values. One who's looking for a particular way of religion to come and be a part of that church. But over here's another one that's different. So if you don't like the way that church is doing... Go over here to this one. And thus you go to the church of your choice. You suppose the devil might have had a hand in that. Is it possible that this is one way to weaken those who claim to believe in God? To dilute them by division? Diverse doctrines? Wouldn't it be wonderful if all the people in McMinnville who are religious people, were to come to the truth of God's Word and simply obey what this book teaches. Throw away all the creeds and doctrines. Put aside all their personal will and their personal desires and simply do what God says to do. Imagine what could be accomplished.
Imagine the force for good that would be. Imagine how many souls would be brought to Christ. There's a challenge. There's another challenge. And that is the challenge of the name that we wear. Some people don't like that terminology. Isaiah 56, verse 5, Isaiah 62, 2, and other passages show that our God was going to give a name, a new name, an everlasting name. Isaiah 62, 2 says, The Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory, and thou, the Jews, Israel, shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. And so God told Ananias to go to Saul, Acts 9. He said, He's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Same three groups mentioned Isaiah 62 too. Acts 11.26 shows that that name was given, given by God. The very Greek word shows that's the case. When the disciples were called, called by God, Christians at Antioch. That's why Paul was trying to persuade Agrippa to be a Christian. That's why 1 Peter 4.16 tells us that we're to wear that name. If we suffer because of it, rejoice in the fact that we're suffering in wearing that worthy name by which we're called. There are so many different names. I got a haircut Friday, and I'd known this lady for a long time, but she'd moved away. <clears throat> I seem to have that uh, effect upon ladies who cut my hair. They, they cut it a time or two, and then they move off somewhere. It's hard for me to find them again, but I eventually catch up with them. So I found this lady, and she cut my hair again. We were talking about religion, and she told me where she went to church. Never heard of it. I go down the road, and I see names in front of church buildings, and I think, where'd they get that? Some of them in Memphis are eight or ten words long. Where'd they get that? And what are the individuals who are going to this place called? Salvation cannot be found in man-made religions that reject being just Christians to be something else and wear a name given by men that associates them religiously with one another. But another challenge is the challenge of convenience to conviction. If it were possible to be in a man-made religion and be in fellowship with God and be in heaven after a while, oh, wouldn't that be convenient? I would not have had to leave the religion of my fathers. I could have stayed there where it was very pleasant. And very little demands were made of me religiously. But that simply won't work. Felix is famous for looking for a convenient season, at least saying he was, Acts 24, 25. And too many man-made religions focus upon making it convenient for their adherents instead of 
simply being servants of God and doing His will. Salvation is not found in man-made religions that focus upon convenience instead of conviction. That look at the, the ties that are earthly and temporary and emphasize those over the ties that are eternal. You know, if we love any person living or dead more than we love Christ, we can't be saved. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10.37, that one verse helped me to come out of the man-made religion in which I was and come to the glorious gospel of Christ and the salvation found therein and the fellowship in the one body. Salvation cannot be found in man-made religions that emphasize convenience and earthly ties instead of conviction in those ties that are eternal. But another challenge is the challenge of man-made religions that are approved by men to that church that is approved by God. No doubt if we were able to go down the street, I don't know what building's down the street, I'm sure there's one not far from here, and talk to the people who are assembled together in that place and part of a man-made religion, and if we were to ask them, does God approve of what you're doing, I just imagine every one of them would say yes. But that doesn't make it so. How do we know what God approves? How can we know what we are to do, what we are to be, how we are to worship, what name we should wear? We're not going to be judged by the doctrines of man-made religions. John 12, 48, recording the words of Jesus, has this to say. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. I hope tomorrow to have the opportunity to talk to a man who's in a man-made religion and as lovingly and kindly as I can to ask him this question. Can you find the church of which you are a member in this book? He cannot. I already know the answer, but I don't think he does. And he's a good man in so many ways. Would do anything in the world to help you. If you were to look at neighbors and citizens and all those types of measurements, you'd say, oh, he's a good man. Look at the things he does for others. That's what breaks our hearts. Because there are a lot of people just like that whom the world would define as good people, better than average, and who are no doubt sincere in what they're doing, 
but who have fallen prey to man-made religions and who are going that path that will lead to everlasting punishment instead of everlasting life, Matthew 25, 46. Not because I'm their judge, but because it is by this book that we shall be judged. The challenge of man-made religions. We could talk about a lot of other things. These are just a few. But the point is that salvation cannot be found in man-made religions. If you, dear friend, have left such a religion behind and now have embraced the truth and obeyed it, you're a member of the body of Christ. You did the right thing. Don't second guess that decision. You made the biblical choice. You chose the way that will lead to everlasting life. Don't ever get off of that path. But if you tonight are traveling still on that way, directed by man-made religions with that false hope, because of the false teaching that has been given to you. Won't you look to the Word of God and learn what the truth is? We'll be glad to help you. We'll be glad to sit down with you tonight and study and see what does this book teach? Is the church of which you're a member found in here? If you want to have salvation, friend, you're going to have to leave where you are and come to where God wants you to be you need to do that right now. Believing in Jesus as the Christ, won't you turn from sin and repentance? Confess your faith in Him that He is the one that He claimed to be. Do what He would have you to do. He has said that those who believe and are baptized shall be saved. Have you done that? Have you been baptized in order to have your sins washed away? Acts twenty-two sixteen. Buried with him in the watery grave of baptism, there to contact his cleansing blood and from which to arise and walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 3, and 4. And when you do that, he'll add you to his church, Acts 2, 47. You know what you'll be? You'll be just a Christian. That's all you'll be. You'll be a member of his church, not some man-made religion. But you can look forward to heaven after a while. You can trust in His precious promises. You can know that you know that you know Him. 1 John 2, 1 through 4. And you can live a life that will be a blessing not only to you but to others as you then can help them to come to the truth. Isn't that what you want to do tonight? It may be, friend, that as a member of the body you've strayed away. You've allowed sin to get in your path. You've turned from that right way and now you need to come back. Again, we'll be happy to help you if we can. We'll be glad to pray with you and pray for you or do whatever we can. We want you to go to heaven. We know that to do that, you've got to face the challenges that are before you and meet them. But do so with the Word of God. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand and sing.